Welcome. Welcome to, Welcome to Education on, on Tap. Welcome to Education on Tap, a podcast brought to you by Teach for America. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Education on Tap. I'm your host, Aaron French. I'll admit it. When I first heard about this week's guest's new book, I was instantly transported back to my elementary school days when I'd watch my favorite wrestlers battle it out in a massive steel cage. As it turns out, that's not the kind of cage busting he's talking about. Instead, he implores teachers to use their street-level knowledge to become a bigger part of the education conversation. No half Nelsons needed. This is Rick Hess. Enjoy. First and foremost, Rick, thank you for joining the show today. Hey, my pleasure to be here. So a lot of people out there probably recognize your name from the the book Cage Busting Leadership. You were also the author of that one. And that book basically claimed to give administrators or district uh, partners the tips that they needed to truly integrate reform within their school district. But what's the difference about that book and the Cage Busting Teacher? Sure, it's a great question. You know, I wrote that book because over, I don't know, a decade or more, interacting with principals and superintendents, I realized how often they had what struck me as smart, good ideas uh, on how to serve kids they weren't doing. And when I asked them why they weren't doing it, they said, because we can't, we're not allowed, it's politically impossible. And the funny thing is, over half the time, I I came to the conclusion that they could actually do what they thought was right. That They were trapped in these cages of their own design. So the book, as you mentioned, I wrote that book. It's done, it's done well. I've spoken lots of times to state superintendent groups or, you know, a district's principals. And a lot of those times there were teacher leaders in the room. Uh, you know, district teacher of the year, uh, the, the association, president, what have you. And after the talk, any number of times, they would come up and go, Rick, uh, you know, and I'd think, gosh, they're going to hate this. Because I was talking to administrators about reading contracts more aggressively and moving dollars. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure union reps were really good with that, right? <laughs> but here's the funny thing. They actually didn't want to give me much grief on that. Mostly what they would do is they would come up and they'd say some version of, Rick, you know, the first half of your talk was pretty interesting on how to think differently, um, how to serve kids better. Here's the problem. The second half of your talk was useless to me. And I'd say, oh, well, <laughs> why? And one guy put it perfectly. He said, well, Rick, here's my cage. My cage is my principal is an idiot. My school board doesn't support my program. My association is off in left field. And policymakers don't give a hoot what I think. What do you got from me? And uh, as I say in the preface of the book, I kind of looked at the guy and I said, well, <laughs> I got nothing. And so that's really what what this book is about. I said, you know what? I really need to think about how do you translate these ideas of how do you get out of these traps and do what you think is right for kids? And how do I translate that and make it useful, not just for administrators, but for, you know, three and a half million teachers in classrooms and schools across the country? Right. And I mean, I think you'd probably agree with me if if I said... There are hundreds, if not thousands, of teacher self-help books out there, right? I mean, Teach for America even has its own, um, you know, by Stephen Farr called Teaching as Leadership. But what what makes your book different from everything else that's out there? Because I feel like there are a dime a dozen right now. The first thing to keep in mind um, is, so why was it that these teachers said, hey, this 
cage-busting leadership stuff, you know, doesn't apply to us. And because it turns out, once I, once I thought about it, and I wrote this book by interviewing a few hundred, um, you know, teachers from all kinds of networks, from uh, National Network of State Teachers of the Year and the National Board and the, the teacher unions and Educators for Excellence and Teach for America and everybody you could think of. Um, what, what, what struck me was I had taken for granted that cage-busting leadership was written for people with what, what, what sociologists call positional authority, people in positions where they could move around dollars, create new job descriptions, what have you. Teachers don't have that. What teachers have are two other kinds uh, of authority, however, that are vastly underutilized. One is their street-level expertise. They know what happens when rubber meets road. Uh, they know how observational systems are actually playing out or what's actually going on with Common Core implementation. The second is the authority that teachers, the moral authority that any professional possesses. Um, the reason that we want to trust a physician to tell us how to take care of our kid. People want to, want to be able to lean on teachers. But to have that authority, people have got to be confident that teachers are, you know, guarding their best interests. And this book, what's different about it, say, from so many other wonderful books, like Doug Lamaze's Teach Like a Champion or Steve Farr's Teaching His Leadership, is those are really books about how to do the classroom job well. This is really a book about, A, how do you harness that street-level expertise to create schools and systems where you can do your best work? And B, how do you work with your colleagues to really deliver on that moral authority so that policymakers and the public and leaders will look to you and trust you when it comes to making hard decisions? So you do offer a lot of concrete tips for, for those kind of folks in your book. I mean, everything from shopping a new idea that they have around to changing unions from the inside out with, with different leadership. Um, but honestly, you know, so people need time for, for that kind of change to happen or to go after those types of changes. And I think if anybody out there that's familiar with education, one of the things they will say, and teachers themselves too, especially being the son of a, a lifelong teacher, I know this to be true as well, is that time isn't something that teachers have. So are you suggesting that, that our educators take less or take more time away from their classroom to implement these changes? Or, I mean, where, where do you foresee this actually happening on the ground? Right. So this is actually part of, again, where I think this is different for some, from so many other terrific books, where it's, whether it's Lamav, whether, whether it's Steve Farr, whether it's Charlotte Danielson. You know, those books are books about instructional technique in classrooms. And that's obviously critical because that's what teachers do. <laughs> but here's the problem. If teachers were working in classrooms that were isolated, if, they, if their classrooms, you know, if teachers worked in classrooms like psychiatrists work in a home office where 30 kids showed up, went to the teacher's den, the teacher stepped into the room and taught and then sent the kids home at the end of the day, then the cage-busting teacher would be pretty unnecessary. But the reality is teachers teach in these classrooms in schools, and those schools are in systems. And when that school has weak discipline, that complicates a teacher's ability to do their job well. When that school has an <laughs> inept substitute um, teacher apparatus, 
so that teachers are getting pulled out of planning periods and into coverage at the spur of the moment. When those schools are taking five and six minutes to run morning announcements or calling assemblies that are not very purposeful and that don't have a lot of lead time, uh, what happens is it makes it harder for teachers to do their job well in the classroom. So the cage-busting teacher is actually not at all about some new laundry list of things teachers should do to do their principal's job for them or to go hang out with policymakers. The cage-busting teacher says, you know what? All of that frustration that teachers have to wrestle with, the interruptions, the wasted time, the lack of support, the colleagues who are not kind of doing their bit, these things are not inevitable. Teachers don't have to accept that as a given. The reality is if those things get better, it gives teachers more time. It gives teachers more energy. It lets teachers be part of a school community where they feel like everybody is pitching in. So the basic operating principle of cage-busting teacher is you are only cage-busting if you are getting more time and more energy back than you are putting into picking the lock on that cage. If you are spending new time and new energy, it's not cage-busting. Well, similarly to that question, I, I honestly think that you're going to be you're going to be hard pressed to find any teacher out there that's 100% you know satisfied with the status quo i'm i'm an idealist so that that's my you know rose colored picture of the of the world um, but you know they may not be sat- satisfied with the status quo but they also would rather just teach like hell and and leave this politicking or the change making or the cage busting to other people are are there tips in your book that can change the minds of those types of people or that those people can grab onto? Sure. So, I mean, there's a couple ways to think about it. You know, we all think about the, the heroic teachers in popular culture. Um, you, you know, the Jaime Escalantes of the world from Stand and Deliver. Um, but look, you know, in order for Jaime Escalante to create the program he did, he needed a principal to let him bring those kids into school weeks early in the summertime. He needed the school system to let him require those students to attend class after school. He needed parents to sign on to conditions. He needed So in order for teachers to create the programs they dream of, uh, whether this was Mike Feinberg and Dave Levin launching KIPP um, and needing the support from Houston Superintendent Rod Page to get the facility, or anybody else along the way, Teachers don't work in isolation. Their ability to get the opportunity to keep a school open, to meet with their kids, to take that chess team to the national tournament, uh, to get their hands on the science equipment they need, all of these things depend on their ability to create the circumstances where they're going to excel for their students. And what happens is you talk to great teacher after great teacher who feels burnt out, and exhausted and frustrated trying to make this stuff happen just to teach like hell. And so the cage-busting teacher really says, you know what? When you are working that hard with that much passion, you can wind up with tunnel vision. You don't even realize all the things that are in your way or all the frustrations that are wearing you down. So especially for those people, I mean, there's I spoke to scores of them in the course of this book, I think there's lots of opportunities for if they for them to look with fresh eyes and to recognize that the cage they've been living in 
is partly one that they have erected themselves just because they have been so willing to look past everything in order to serve their kids. I've had a guest on this show, Jack Schneider, who you're probably familiar with. He wrote a book called From the Ivory Tower, um, and it focused largely on why big ideas from you know colleges and universities and people who are studying education, why those people's ideas don't make it to the classroom. Um, and you are somebody that I believe could be considered to be in the ivory tower. You are, you are there. You are looking at education. You're not shy about that. You've studied it for decades. Um, my question is that you you say that you are qualified to, to write this book because of your bird's eye view on the education landscape as a whole. But what makes your advice practical and portable to very, very key ingredients in making sure teachers can implement this kind of change? Yeah, I mean, this is true of everything, right? I mean, the advice any of us want in any time in our life is not somebody to lecture us. We want stuff that we can use. Um, and, you know, I think the reality is that a lot, what, what one of the things that frustrates any teacher um, is when they're trying to do the right thing for a kid and it's not clicking. And so they look to the Doug Lamovs of the world for techniques and strategies, and that's great. Uh, but something else that seems to frustrate especially a lot of really passionate teachers is the way they feel like their school or their system or policy um, is tripping them up, is making it harder for them to go ahead and to do the things they think are right. And for those teachers who are looking for practical, useful, how do I actually solve this advice, that's what I've tried to offer here. The reason that I think it's, that I hope it'll resonate, and again, <laughs> it's a free country, it may or may not, um, but you know, so much of the advice in this book is really informed and framed by the hundreds of you know, teacher leaders and teacher advocates and, and, and just amazing educators that I spoke to. Um, as you know, it's really their stories that frame their book. It's really their advice that I am that, that, that I am sharing. And so I think it, 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 one way to think about the cage-busting teacher is it's a lot of teachers who have wrestled with this, uh, passing on their wisdom uh, to teachers who are looking for a mentor who can share that kind of insight. Um, Lily Eskelson Garcia is one of the folks, that one of the early reviewers of your book, and I, I definitely had to chuckle at what she had to say in that she loved the book even the parts that she hated. Um, and in your preface, um, you know, you you are pure Rick Hess. You sometimes can be uh, a little bit of a polarizing figure out there um, in the education landscape, but you are very forthright in your preface of saying, you know, you couldn't really care less about people who disagree with you. And, and on some levels, I respect that. You know, I, what I'm scared of is, you know, we've talked a lot about how your book can offer practical tips for teachers to make their jobs more efficient and hopefully easier. And of course, the end game is helping our kids succeed more. But with that kind of language at the very beginning of your book, are you afraid that you're going to alienate the audience that you actually are trying to reach? Um, no, not really. You know, it's funny, as you mentioned Lily, who of course is the president of the National Education Association. Right. And as you know, both Lily and Randy Weingarten, the president of the AFT, um, were kind enough to write really generous blurbs for the back jacket of the book. Um, you know, frankly, you know, we we all have certain things to offer. That's what makes it such an amazing world, right? <laughs> 350 million people in this country, and we all have our own weaknesses and our own gifts. 
Um, I've got plenty of weaknesses. I think one of the things I have to offer is that I'm fortunate enough to have a, a position where I can kind of just speak my truth without having to worry too much about how people react to it. And that is how my temperament is set. And I think when it comes to speaking to teachers, frankly, we've got, you know, one of the things that we have suffered for is that there are too many reformers, I think, who are not necessarily as thoughtful as they should be, that the people who are doing this work are the teachers. <laughs> we need to make sure we're speaking to teachers uh, with uh, uh, affection and respect. Uh, but I also think too many people who write for teachers have gotten into the habit of talking to teachers as if they're Cub Scouts, uh, as if they're little children who need to be pandered, who need to be sucked up to. Frankly, I think one of the things that teachers seem to like about the cage-busting teacher is that I'm not worried about them liking me. I'm not worried about um, giving them lots of over-the-top compliments, that this is a book which talks to teachers as professionals, from me trying to operate as a professional who mostly lives in the world of policy, um, to teachers who are professionals who mostly live in the world of practice. And in order for that conversation to be constructive, there are certain things we have to accept. Teachers have to accept that people can be critical of schools or critical of some teachers without feeling hatred in their hearts. <laughs> and some of the reformers and advocates need to respect that they are not actually doing the work, and they need to keep that in mind at all times when weighing in <laughs> on policy or practice. And so I, what I tried to do was get that established right up front. You know, and I actually agree with that. One of the things you say is, you know, for teachers out there, it, this book is not going to make them feel better. And what I really enjoy about that is it's not because you are talking down to teachers. It's because your focus is really opening their eyes to what the roadblocks are to their profession. And I think that is very important. And I do agree um, that it's a little bit of a different approach than what I've seen with other people. So to whet some folks' appetites out there about what's included in the book, you want to give us your top two or three tips that uh, you, you're offering folks? Don't give it all away, Rick, because, you know, you want people <laughs> you want people to, to, to read the book. Yeah, you know, at a very practical level, um, you know, as we both know, people talk endlessly about teacher leadership nowadays. Um, and I'm not crazy about that idea because I don't, I, I don't like these words that don't mean anything. Um, on the other hand, I, I think leadership is something that tends to be more that's earned than a title. And there are things that teachers do in schools um, which create those environments where they feel more productive, like they can focus more on their classroom, and they become leaders along the way. One simple tip is teachers are endlessly frustrated by professional development, but don't do anything about it. So one simple tip is teachers should go to their principal and say, look, if we've got a professional learning community, we've got our PLC 45 minutes once a week all year long, and we're all trickling in late and we're leaving early and the PD is uninspired, this isn't a good use of anybody's time. What does it look like? to say we are only going to have teachers sit for PD when it has already been vetted and approved by a committee of three veterans. 
So the assistant principal, curriculum instruction downtown, they only get to get in front of those teachers once they're once what they are delivering has passed muster. There are schools that do this out there, and when you talk to these teachers, they say that it just fundamentally changes their attitude about the TLCs. A second related tip is one of the problems is teachers will grumble um, that professional development stinks. Uh, Boston Consulting Group last year did a study where only 24% had said it was that useful. But when you talk to districts, they're getting 80 or 90% of teachers saying it's fine, it's good. Um, what's happening is I think teachers are generally lying just because they don't think anybody's going to take them very seriously. But so what teachers should do is they should insist on feedback and public reporting of results and public discussion after each professional development so that when they are unhelpful, they are being called out on it and so that teachers feel like they're actually being heard. A third tip is one of the things you hear from teachers a lot is they feel like a lot of time is wasted. One of the rules of thumb, it turns out, that meeting specialists share is that meetings tend to fill up the allowable time. So rather than calling an hour-long meeting for the school improvement plan or what have you, call a 12-minute meeting or a 15-minute meeting. Have everybody show up exactly on time. Have the meeting run no more than 12 or 15 minutes and know exactly what the takeaway is going to be from that meeting into the next deliverable. One of the things people report is that when their meetings are running like this, focused and disciplined, that people are much more willing to show up and pay attention because they feel like it's a respectful use of their time. Well, now you've just convinced me that people in corporate America and other organizations need to read the book, too, because that tip about meetings, I think, is widely applied, could be widely applied to a lot of people. <laughs> um, Rick, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. You're, you're certainly not the evil guy I see pop up on my Twitter feed uh, from people from time to time. Uh, so I really appreciate you joining the show. Um, and for folks out there, again, uh, the book is called Cage Busting Teacher, and the author is Rick Hess. Rick, thanks for joining the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. You can follow Rick on Twitter at RickHess99. And again, the name of that book is The Cage Busting Teacher. Just do a Google search for it, and if you want to read it, there's plenty of places to buy it. As always, thanks for giving us a listen here at Education on Tap. A reminder that you can subscribe to us on both iTunes and SoundCloud. All you have to do is search for Education on Tap. And if you have an idea of someone we should talk to or a topic you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email. I'm at educationontap at teachforamerica.org. And if you want to join the conversation about the show, tweet at teachforamerica, hashtag educationontap, or tweet at me directly at Aaron Mofo French. That's it for us this week. Until next time, have a great weekend, y'all.